This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, today's guest is Michael Sweet, lead vocalist and guitarist for the Orange County, California heavy metal band, Striper. Together we break down Striper's 1986 hit, To Hell With The Devil, taken from their third full-length album of the same name. Michael spoke of how he wrote the chords and melody on an acoustic guitar in the corner of his garage. When he presented the song to the band, they instantly liked it, and his brother and drummer and Striper, Robert Sweet, came up with the lyrics to the song. Michael cites influences from everything between Judas Priest, Boston, Elvis, and Pavarotti, the latter being no surprise when it comes to Michael's incredible range and operatic vocal delivery. He touched on the fact that he carefully looks at each song as its own entity, trying not to use the same tricks twice, while at the same time staying true to the band's sound, which is definitely a fine line, balancing act. I mentioned how his voice is so unique and one of a kind that it has truly overshadowed his gift as a lead guitar player. He can rip with the best of them. And I gotta say, as far as musical output, Michael and Striper are some of the most proficient in the business. They are nonstop, always pushing forward, something I find very inspiring. For all this and a whole lot more, don't you dare go anywhere. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Michael, how's it going? It's going great, man. I'm in Florida. Got back from the Chris Jericho cruise and traveling, running errands, and we're here for a few more weeks, and then we head back to uh, good old uh, warm Massachusetts. Right on. Yeah, uh, Florida is is my home state. I now, I now live in Tennessee, but my band uh, is from Gainesville, Florida, so that, that's cool that you're down there. Well, cool, man. Yeah, it is. It's really different. We're at a, uh, a really cool place. It's basically like a senior citizen's campground. And uh, there's gators and deer. And someone told me last <laughs> night they have a panther here. We're waiting to see that. So it's really cool. Are you at the villages? We are not. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's an elderly campground as well. Yeah, this is this is elderly. All really nice people. Really slow paced. The only bummer about it is you can't have campfires, you know. Uh, we were kind of hoping we could. But we're here in our RV hanging out for a few more weeks. And then we go back to reality. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to give the listeners a little background here on, on Striper. Uh, the band formed in 1983 in Orange County, California. They were originally formed as Rock's Regime. Uh, they were the first overtly Christian heavy metal band to gain acceptance in the mainstream. Uh, the band signed with Enigma Records in 1983 and released their debut EP, The Yellow and Black Attack. 
Their first full-length album, Soldiers Under Command, was released in May of 1985, and it was the band's first gold record. And the track we're breaking down today is To Hell With The Devil, the title track from the band's third album, which was released in October of 1986. It went platinum after spending three months on the Billboard's album charts, eventually selling two million copies. Calling On You, Free, and Honestly were hugely popular MTV hits. Uh, the album received a Grammy Award nomination for Best Gospel Performance by a duo or group, Choir or Chorus. Uh, Michael's the band's primary song songwriter and he's also currently the band's producer uh, to hell with the devil was produced by Stephen galfus and striper galfus has worked with many acts including share the almond brothers band and meatloaf the band's fourth album and god we trust was released in june of 1988 and in august of 1990 striper released the album against the law after which the band went on hiatus michael departed the band in february 1992 and pursued a highly successful solo career the band reformed in 1999 and in 2005 released their comeback record reborn since then they've released a covers record and five other studio records the most recent being 2012 20s even the devil believes and i gotta say the other thing that's just so cool michael is that you played with boston one of my all-time favorite bands i know my producer chris is sick of hearing me say that i've referenced boston a hundred times on this show from 2007 to 2011 i think that's just amazing wow man that's that's a lot of information brother and uh incredible yeah i i was uh fortunate enough to play with boston it was supposed to be a a one-off what was supposed to be their last show and a, a celebration of life to Mr. Brad Delp, uh, incomparable Brad Delp. And I got invited along with a, a number of uh, artists, Ann Wilson and Mickey Thomas, Sammy Hagar, Godsmack. I mean, just a bunch of bands. And I wound up going and performing. Some of the singers dropped out, so I got to perform even more. And it went so well that Tom came backstage and invited me to join the band. And they said, we're going to continue on because it went so well. So I got to tour with them in 08 with Sticks. We did 56 shows. And, and here you go. I'm, I'm no longer with the band. I left Boston. Right. For anyone out there that may think I'm crazy for, for doing that, you know, I, I wanted to make my band uh, the priority and focus on Striper exclusively. And that's what I did. So I believe it or not, I left the band Boston, which is insane, but, but true. <laughs> well, and, and long time uh, Striper bassist Tracy Ferry now plays with Boston from what I understand. He does. He, well, as far yeah. as I know, he still does. Yes. Uh, before Tracy was an incredible bass player in person, uh, Kimberly Darm, who uh, played in, in the band when I was in the band. She played bass and right. sang, and she was amazing. And, you know, it was, it was a really fun time, really interesting time in a very cool way. Well, and I, and I got to say, you know, I, I, I've followed your career since 1985, not just a, a fan from the stuff back in the day. I love how you've evolved. Uh, you've still maintained uh, who you are as Striper and as Michael Sweet. But, uh, you know, you, you've pushed the envelope. You've, you've uh, continued to make great sounding records. I've noticed the uh, most of your records since reforming or all of them have been produced by yourself. You know what you want for your sound. You know, my, my two favorite records, I think it's a tie at this point. It's probably Against the Law and Murder by Pride. I love Murder by Pride. Uh, uh, probably my favorite Striper song uh, is on that record, Four Leaf Clover, and of course, a cover of uh, Peace of Mind by Boston, which I love. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting because uh, that's a time when I was just about to join the band, Boston. And what I mean by that is we hadn't toured yet. It, it, it was in uh, 07 when we were wrapping that album up. And I figured, you know, I'm going to ask Tom if he'll play on a song. And he, from what I understand, had never done that before. And he said, yes. So we got Tom on a song, which is really cool uh, and very rare, very <laughs> unusual. Uh, and we did our own version, of course, of that song, different drum groove and, and just a few little different uh, flavors here and there. And man, it, yeah, that's one of my favorite albums too, believe it or not. Uh, I think that's a highly underrated album, Murder by Pride, I'm referring to. Uh, yeah. Very underrated. And it kind of uh, was stealth on the radar. And uh, it's sad because there was a lot of great songs on that album. Well, it's hard to push forward as a band. I, I've been in a band for 30 years and I know that, you know, we're fortunate to have a legacy, so to speak, and fans that want to hear those songs that they have all those memories attached to. But as artists, we, we like to push forward. And, and, and you have. You guys are continuing to to churn out really great stuff. Uh, I want to dive into the song right now. And I, I want you to take us back. Uh, the record came out in October of 86. Do you remember uh, writing To Hell With The Devil? I do. I actually wrote the music for that track and robert wrote the lyric for that track and uh, oh wow yeah that that's a co-write with rob and i he wrote the lyric and i wrote the music and like all the music that i've written over the years it was always me in a corner of the garage uh, with my guitar plugged in while everyone else was conversing we had 20 25 people in the garage Rob was talking with people. My mom would come in. She'd bring food. And Oz was talking with people. You know, I was in the corner, not talking to anyone, uh, writing to hell with the devil, writing those riffs. So I was, uh, that's the way my personality is. I get, uh, I have OCD and ADHD and I get hyper-focused on things. And I hyper-focused on songwriting and still do. And I remember writing that riff, you know, and playing it for everybody after I wrote it. And everyone seemed to really dig it. And the rest is history, as they say. That is awesome. Well, for those listeners that don't know, Robert Sweet is Michael's brother, who is the uh, drummer, the only drummer uh, that's ever been in Striper. And I know he was credited. I saw that online. I, di I didn't know uh, what he did with the song. I guess he wrote the lyric, which is really cool. Um, was the was the song one of the first tracks you wrote for the album? Did you know it was going to be the title of the album, or, or where did it sit in the in the writing uh, process? Yeah, it definitely wasn't one of the first tracks I wrote for the album. One of the first tracks I wrote for the album, believe it or not, was the song "Honestly." Wow. I went through a ballad phase and uh, I wrote quite a few ballads in, you know, a two or three week period. Honestly, was one of those together as one was another one. So honestly, was written long before Tale with the Devil came to be. Uh, and then another song that I wrote right out of the box for that album, the sing along song, because I had a keyboard, a rolling keyboard that I kept experimenting with. And those two songs came first, honestly, and sing along song. And then obviously, you know, I'm a metalhead as well. I love I love Priest, but I love Journey every bit as much as Priest and Loverboy. So I, I, I like it all. Uh, you've got the heavy side of that album with More Than a Man. More Than a Man is probably one of the heaviest ones. No matter what some people say
you know, as I got along and, and went down that path of writing for that album and I wrote uh, Sing Along and honestly, that's when everything else just started coming. And I, I started thinking like, OK, I need an edgier one. All right. I need this. I need a little bit of a popular <laughs> one. So I wrote Holding On. And it just all fell into place. Well, that, that's what I dug about the band. I mean, you you could sing anything. Your voice, you had such a great register. But I loved, like, you know, you could hear Van Halen. You could hear Priest. You could hear some some Maiden riffs in there. But then you you heard a song like Honestly that reminds me of something that Styx did, which I'm a huge Styx fan. I, I grew up with listening to that in the back of Mom and Dad's car, you know. So you guys kind of had a little bit of everything for, for a, a, a suburban kid like me in 1986. We did. And I loved... I came from the mentality of don't get stale. Don't be repetitive. And a, a lot of the albums that I loved and grew up with, uh, I look back on those albums and I feel like they were somewhat repetitive, meaning every mm-hmm. song, every song began to sound the same. I vowed as a writer and as an artist to do the exact opposite and make every song completely different. And that's tricky to do. That's not an easy thing to do and make it all uh, work together and uh, and somehow fit together like a glove. But I love doing that with every album that I'm a part of, part of whether it's Solo, Striper, Sweet and Lance, whatever. If you notice on most everything I work on, every song is really different on each album. Yeah, no, and that and that's the great challenge, you know, to, to be able to push forward and still retain who you are, but not try to, uh, you know, as you said, do the same thing over and over again. That that's that that to me is the ultimate challenge. It's very it is very challenging because what can happen is if you don't do it right, it could sound like ten different albums and ten different sure. ten different bands, and you, then you got a problem. But somehow, some way, or at least I think, uh, I've managed to pull it off and make it work. And I love doing a track like More Than a Man. And then I love doing a track like Holding On. You know, they're polar opposite uh, sounding songs. But yet at the same time, uh, two of my favorite songs to play live. And I I love the pop sense and I love the metal sense. And I I would crank if you hung out with me in 86 and got in my car and we drove to Taco Bell, you'd hear me. I'd pop in Priest. And then right after that, I'd, (laughs) I'd pop in Survivor. You know, and yeah. it's just what I grew, how I grew up. I, I appreciate all forms of music. Yeah, well, we, if that would have happened, we would we would have been fast friends. I can guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> and and man, I, I would even listen. My dad growing up would listen to stuff like Elvis and Pavarotti, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yeah, I I, I love the Beach Boys, the Beatles. I mean, I, I love it all, man. Yeah, that that's where I'm at. I love a good song, and that's why I started the songwriting podcast because it's just fascinating to to talk to every artist and just everyone's take is different, but it's it's also unique and cool at the same time. Oh yeah. Um, before we dissect the actual song, just one last thing. You know, I remember this time period. I remember I believe some stores like Walmart and, and Kmart at the time didn't want to stock this record based on the album cover, which was hilarious to me because you guys <laughs> it had a pentagram on the front, but you guys were basically uh, you know you're a Christian band. Here and you're saying no to hell with the devil but right. uh was there ever was there ever talk of of not naming the record that because of the connotation and having hell in the uh in the title no we we always felt comfortable naming the record that but when we when we began to distribute the album and we started getting a lot of feedback negative feedback from chains mostly christian chains who said they wouldn't yeah. carry it because there was a, a, the imagery of in the pentagram on the album uh, didn't allow them to comfortably carry that. So we came up with the plan and we made those uh, album covers limited. And then we created a new album cover, which of course everyone has seen. And that's the one that those chains carried. But 
you know, it's not that we caved and gave in. It's just that we certainly don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot. We didn't want to limit our reach and being able to get out there to as many people as possible. Absolutely. I can 100% relate to that. And and I, I've, I've said this before on the show. I can't overstate how important MTV was at this time. And you guys were in my house, in my living room, larger than life. You know, when you were on MTV, like you, you guys were back then, it was just, it, it was phenomenal. And this this song was all over the place. I, again, had heard you since uh, Soldier Under Command, my, my godfather's son, who I always called my cousin, my cousin Dave, it was probably February or March of 85, played me the record. And uh, I was just, actually take that back, February or March of 86 played me the record. I had never heard of you guys, blown away. Later that fall, of course, To Hell With The Devil came out, and uh, and here we are. The song is four minutes and three seconds uh, long. It starts with this guitar slide in, and then this big chord rings out uh, over the drums until the five second mark, and then that's when the dual harmony guitars come in. love this intro, Michael, because the first four measures on the one and the three, you're missing that F sharp. Yep. The guitar leads going over, but the, that, that second chord, the F sharp is not there. Uh, I'm assuming that was intentional because I, I, I feel it's such a cool tension. Yeah, it's, it's all those little things you wouldn't think, you might not think are intentional are. I'm one of those guys who likes to, if I write a verse and it's got a certain chord progression, the second verse might have a slightly different chord progression. Uh, yeah. and, the, and the third verse might have an entirely different chord. I might, instead of a major, I'll go to minor. Or instead of minor, I'll go to major. I do that a lot in a lot of different songs. So all those little things that you notice as a writer, some other people may not notice. But it definitely adds, like you said, tension and makes it a little more interesting for sure. Was that something you recall being on if, if you indeed demoed this song or the initial writing of it with the acoustic in the garage, like you said? Was that something that was there or did, did Stephen Galfus, the producer, have anything to do with that? Was that something you decided to leave out in the studio or do you remember? No, it was it was always there. And, and I can tell you this, too. And, and, and that's with Stephen Galfast, Michael Wagner, who uh, Ron Gowdy, uh, even uh, Tom Wehrman, um, all the producers or really co-producers, when they were working with us and they came in and met with us and we started working together we had everything ready from a musical a musical point of view so we didn't go in a room with any of these guys and like rearrange rewrite uh change chords uh, you know add this subtract that it was all ready to go and I remember, you know, when we were working with Michael Wagner, he's like, man, this is like the easiest, easiest gig I ha- I've had because I don't have to do anything. I just got to make you guys sound good. And, and that he did. That's such a great compliment. And it sounds to me like you were already in the producer's chair, but maybe because of your age, you weren't maybe ready to, to, to actually be the producer. Or was there label pressure to have guys like Tom Worman and, and, and Stefan Galfus in the mix? Definitely label pressure. I mean, we were always ready to be the producers. I, you know, we produced our demos. If you go back and listen to some of our demos, they, at least in my opinion, sounded every bit as good as the first album we released, The Yellow and Black Attack. And, right. and then, right. like I said, with soldiers, all Michael had to do was just get everything to tape in a clean fashion, you know, and punchy. And uh, in terms of the songs and the parts, everything was worked out. He didn't have to do anything. And we just he just hit record and we sang and he's like, wow, 
great. Oh my gosh. You know, next let's do this. Let's do the guitar solo for it. Now we'd play the solo and he'd be like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that's amazing. I mean, this is how the recording process was and it is everything was just already worked out. So we really, we co-produced all those albums, but didn't obviously really get credit for it, but we certainly did in all fairness. We really did. We, we were the, always the co-producers on every album for sure. Yeah, well, I and and that's commendable. I I love going in the studio prepared. Nothing is worse than just being floundering when you're when you're under the microscope. That's the absolute worst feeling. We get into verse one. It's the forty-five second mark. The lyric is, "Well, speak of the devil. He's no friend of mine. To turn from him is what we've got in mind." And that's just the drums with Michael. That's just you right there. Yep. Just the drums and vocals. on to say just a liar and a thief the world tells us so we like to let him know where he can go uh, on the just a liar and a thief line that's when the big stereo guitars come in on the what we've got in mind the actually the third line the guitars slide in there with kind of like the pinch harmonics again and then yep. the stereo guitars come in on the last line the word no you do this uh, octave scream just on that one word yeah <laughs> and uh and now again was this kind of all in your head on the demo or, or were you playing around in the studio like that that no was that just on one take that was comped or something or was that intentional yeah that was intentional i mean i back in those days we didn't do a lot of comping right I got into comping later on in life uh, in, in where I would sing, you know, three or four takes and then we'd comp them together. Back in those days, though, it was just pretty much one take and we would punch in. Uh, you know, I'd mm -hmm. sing it through until I felt like, OK, that was a good take. We'd run with that and then we'd punch in and fix the, the words slash notes that we didn't care for. But all that stuff was, like I said, just, you know, we'd go in there and just feel it out and bang it out. And whatever was coming out of the heart and soul in the moment was it. That's awesome. And, and for the listeners, when I say comp, uh, comping in 1986 meant doing three or four takes of a vocal or something. And then you'd have to actually cut the tape and splice it together. Yep. So <laughs> punching in was a punching in was a little easier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Punching in was a lot easier. And we lived through those times. You know, we were, on that album in particular, we were one of the first bands that I'm aware of to in los angeles record a metal band to record digitally so that album wow. that entire album was tracked on a 32 track mitsubishi machine and uh, through an ssl and so the entire process was digital uh we were also one of the first bands to use i don't know if you recall the publison stereo uh sampler uh, but basically we would sing the, we loved that because we sang these giant stacks on the choruses for vocals. And then we just flew them with the sampler. Wow. I, I have, I did. I'm unaware of that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. We would just basically load them up into the stereo sampler, which had so much time and we, you know, barely fit those courses. And then, and then when the next course would come up, we'd hit record and then someone would stand there and just hit the, the button on the Publisant to start it. And then we'd say, no, nope, that was a little late. We do it again. Oh, that was a little early. We do it again until we got it. 
And that was it. And that's really early to be playing with that kind of digital technology. It was really early. And yeah, (laughs) yeah, we tracked that at a place called Master Control and Gary Meyerberg was the tech there. And they were very cutting edge, that studio and that tech in particular, very cutting edge in terms of technology. And like I said, I think they were the first studio in L.A. to have that particular machine, the 32 track Mitsubishi machine. That is so cool. Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to make a podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. Oh, hey there. I wanted to tell you that Striper has a Kickstarter project running right now to make the official Striper documentary. Imagine a modern-day Netflix-style documentary that tells the story of the band who tried to take down the devil himself. Go to striperdocumentary.com to get to where you need to go and enjoy the episode. Back to you, Chris's. And now, back to the show. Well, the last line here, when when you uh, do that scream of no, where he can go, uh, the cool drum fill comes at the excuse my excuse my vocal impersonation there. But I I love that it's heavy and it's just it's so your brother. It's just that's how he played. It was just it was it was heavy. And we're in we're in chorus number one. The lyric is to hell with the devil twice, uh, to hell with the devil. After the first time, the dual harmony guitar lick from the top of the song, what I'm calling the hook, the hook comes in halfway through and uh, there's harmonies uh, as well as those stacked vocals that you were talking about on both of these lines here. And 
again, again, I'll ask. This was uh, just like the original demo at this point, or just like how how it was written. Yeah, just like the original demo, and I, I, that's something that I've always done with uh, uh, songwriting and with uh, many songs that I write. I always felt it was really important to have a hook line, guitar hook line, uh, as an intro, reintro, outro. The da, da, do, you know that line. Mm-hmm. you know that that whole line it's it, it kind of makes you go oh wow what's that and you remember it you can almost sing the line uh, we have that on soldiers and their command there's so many songs uh free yeah. free has it you know it, it's it's just it's kind of a trademark striper thing and it just became uh, such an integral part of who we are and what we do and how we do it uh something else i don't know if you noticed but when you hear the symbols you could hear it on To Hell. You could hear it on Sing Along Song. You hear after that Tom Phil you talked about. Yeah, you can hear it. Sounds almost gated. Yeah, uh, you listen to Sing Along Song. You'll really hear it. It's They're all gated, and that was accidental. Really? Yeah. So basically, the engineer Stephen Gelfast applied gates to the cymbals and. We didn't pick up on it till it got mastered. They weren't supposed to be gated. Well, I, I always th- thought that sounded like a cymbal grab that Robert did, you know, where you stop the cymbal. There are cymbal grabs on the album. But if, yeah. you, if you go through and you listen to the album, there are certain songs specifically and especially sing-along song. You can hear it clear as day on all the cymbals. Every cymbal hit is gated. Did you question Stefan at that time about that? Oh, man, yeah. I'll tell you, I I, I always thought it was kind of <laughs> cool. And, and we had people coming up to us saying, dude, that effect you did on the cymbals was cool. And Robert Robert was not too happy about that because he he didn't like the cymbals gated. And I understand that. Of course. As a drummer, you wouldn't. Right. So Robert, to this day, is a bit annoyed by that. You know, and, and we... We had to get it done. We had a date with Eddie Schreier at Capitol Mastering. Yeah. Couldn't get out of it. And if you got out of it, Eddie wasn't mastering it. And we wanted Eddie. So we, we didn't have the time to go back and fix it. We just couldn't do it. And I certainly know the part you're speaking of. I always thought it was a symbol grab, Michael. I had no idea that was a gate on there. That is cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Listen to the album, especially, like I said, sing-along song, and you'll hear it clear as day right on well before we get into verse two before i forget i do want to tell you that i'm not a big fan of re-records but i i want to say i think the re-record you did on second coming up to hell with the devil best the the original We did that to prove a point, but it, we two, twofold. We did it to obtain the rights to those songs, the masters. Sure. And we sure. we control those masters for sync purposes. But we also did it to kind of show the world and prove the world, like, yeah, really, you, you don't think we could pull that off? Really? Okay. Well, here <laughs> here you go. Chew on this for a little while. Yeah, well, you, you can still sing like you used to, which 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 is amazing. Because as we get older, I know that uh, the voice is a muscle, and certainly back in '86 when you were singing like you were, you never thought of a day. We we, we never, no one ever thinks they're going to get older. Like, nope. am I going to be able to pull this off when I'm in my fifties? <laughs> Absolutely, man. And obviously, when you're my style of singing is definitely different. Love it or hate it, it's very different in the sense that 
I, I, I'm a screamer. I, I do high screams, but I'm a chesty singer as well. I'm a chest voice singer. I don't sing from the throat. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the greats, like, you know, uh, Brian Johnson and, you know, uh, this uh, kind of sound. That's not my thing. I'm, I'm more of a almost operatic uh, kind of singer. And oh, no, and I can I can I can hear that in your vibrato. It's from the chest. Yeah. And I think I think that's helped me and saved me uh, to retain a fair amount of my voice over the years because I do sing from the chest. And I, uh, you know, I went and had a few lessons when I was younger and learned how to sing properly. And, and I've had my voice scoped many times and they say, your vocal cords look fine. I haven't had surgeries. I haven't needed that's surgery. Awesome. So it's, I think it's based on how I sing. Again, love it or hate it. A lot of people hate my voice. It's grating, I've, I've been told. But, you know, it, it, the way I sing and the style I sing with is certainly my own thing. And, you know, uh, it's what I do. So there you go. No, it's great. You got a fan here. Verse number two, one minute and 36 seconds, we break in. There's stereo guitars right off the top. When things are going wrong, you know who to blame. He will always live up to his name. And right there, those pinch harmonic guitars come in. never been the answer there's a better way and on better way you do that super high uh, octave scream again we are here to rock you and on rock you you do the same thing uh, we are here to rock you and to say and then the drum fill happens again same time signature as the first uh, before the first chorus but there's uh there's some more toms here it's kind of a different thing yeah it's pr- pretty much the same fill which is which is cool there's a little bit of a spin on it So real quick, these these lyrics here, I mean, they're pretty verbatim. I mean, you're basically saying, you know, he, the devil, will always live up to his name. Was this a first take with with Robert? Is this something he just presented with the song or did you spend time cultivating this lyric? I definitely uh, cultivated the lyrics and changed a few words here and there so I could sing it properly and, uh, you know, pronunciation, enunciation and uh, timing and all that kind of stuff. So when Rob submits a lyric, I, I'll go through it and, and make some changes and make some rewrites and, and, and whatnot, but not a lot with that particular song. You know, that that song was pretty simple because we were writing it as we were rehearsing and we'd play it and then make changes and play it, and make changes. And we got to fine tune it as we went along. Nowadays, though, we don't quite have the opportunity or the chance or the time to do that as much. You know, if we got two weeks to write an album and then we rehearse it for two weeks and we got to go record it and then go to Italy two weeks later, we don't have that luxury or leisure. So it, back in those days, we did. We had a lot more time to fine tune stuff. Well, we also didn't have phones we were staring at all the time then either. True. Uh, <laughs> very, very true. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we had more time on our hands. Uh, at two minutes and eight seconds, we're in chorus number two. Same as chorus one, to hell with the devil. Uh, right after that line, the dual harmony guitar lick from the top comes in. And then to hell with the devil, the second line. And now we're at the two minute and 25 second mark. And uh, in my notes, I wrote D-U-N-T, dunt, dunt. That's what the drums do there. Dunt, dunt. There's these, yep. this break where this dual guitar harmony uh, part comes in that's just killer.
And that's uh, about eight seconds long. At two minutes and 33 seconds, the lead break guitar solo comes in uh, until the three minute and four second mark when the band stops and a dual guitar uh, descending lick takes us into chorus three. I love that part. That whole thing there, that guitar solo, you know, guitar solos are, for me have always been, does it fit the song? Are, are all the notes necessary? There's some speed in this solo, but it slows down. It kind of takes you on a journey. Uh, was this a solo you came up with or something that Oz Fox, the lead guitarist, came up with? Well, the, the harmony, the intro part, yeah. that whole part I came up with. And then the first half of the solo after that descending part then everyone kicks in again that yeah. first half is me and i came up with that obviously and then the second half of the solo is oz and oz came up with his his part of the solo uh, but usually okay. most of the harmony stuff maybe even all of the harmony stuff that goes for surrender anything that you hear harmony parts on uh, usually I came up with those parts. Uh, and, and that was based on just me sitting and writing. You know, I grew up on Boston and, uh, you know, Thin Lizzy, and I was very drawn to harmony guitars. And mm -hmm. I was uh, fascinated by harmony guitars. So I, I was usually the one putting together anything that had a harmony to it in terms of guitar solos. Right. And it, it, it's funny, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. You know, over the years, I, I've kind of gone out of my way to make sure people know that I do play guitar. But I still do this day, man. I have a lot of people coming up to me after every single show and saying, wow, we had no idea you played guitar. Or, wow, you know, I thought, <laughs> I thought you just played a little guitar. I didn't know you played that much guitar. And, you know, there's always all these comments. And it, it just it fascinates me because guitar is my first instrument. You know, I'm, I'm a guitar player before I am a singer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't know if you recall playing Grad Night at Disney World years and years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. But but I was there, and man, I walked away going, I just, you know, yeah, you had a guitar on in, in some of the videos or whatever, but, you know, I always thought that just Oz was the lead guitarist, and I walked away going, that band has two lead guitarists. It's brilliant. You know, I, I was shocked, so it, it doesn't really, well, it only surprised me today people still say it to you because you have YouTube where you can see you playing, of course, but back then I didn't have that luxury, and I, I walked away going, wow, it was a two-guitar uh, lead guitar attack. I know, man, and it's interesting because every video, if you go back and you watch all of our videos, videos i'm playing in every video with oz you know so it's, <laughs> I, I don't get it maybe everyone somehow missed those videos i really don't know but it's you know i've learned to kind of laugh at it not not take it so serious because uh you know for a while there i took it to heart because i man i work hard on my guitar stuff i i mean probably oh yeah probably harder than my vocal stuff <laughs> I truly think the reason, Michael, and is because you're, you're such an amazing singer and you're the, 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 the front, the face of the band, essentially, that, uh, you know, something's got to get overlooked and your, your singing is hard to overlook. <laughs> so well, it's almost like, uh, you know, I, I can't think of many lead guitar players that play as good as you do that, that, that sing like that. I mean, you look at someone like Eddie Van Halen, one of the greatest guitarists ever. Ed, Eddie did some backups, but he didn't sing like you. So that could that could quite possibly be the reason. Well, you know, and, and that probably is and, and obviously you know everybody else in the band is so great as well and, and you know it's 
it's it's easy for something like that to get overlooked. And and that's why over the past few years, it's like, whatever, you know, I, it, it doesn't bother me as much. But for a little while there, I don't know what it was. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed for a few years. And I'm like, oh, this is this is a bit annoying, man, because I work so hard and nobody knows I play guitar. But I, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Well, uh, as long as you get those people still coming up amazed and slack jawed at what they just saw, that's proof right there of how, how good a guitarist you are. Exactly. Absolutely. We're uh, going to wrap up the last chorus here. Three minutes and five seconds. We're in chorus three. The first line to hell with the devil with all the big uh, backing vocal pads there in the harmony what i love on this third chorus you know i've listened to this song michael i don't know how many times in the last 35 36 years and i never realized why this chorus felt different to me until i really really dove in after the first line here there's a different guitar lick it doesn't go back to the main guitar lick at the top of the song it's different there And again, was that something in the studio? You said, you know what? We should put, we, we should save the lick because it does come in later, that uh, initial lick at the top of the song. But uh, here it's different. It is. And again, it's just a matter of trying to add those little subtle changes that make each chorus or verse stand on their own and interesting. And that's that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's all the little nuances and little things that Oz and I do that people don't really comprehend quite right until they see us live. When you come see us live, you can see all that stuff and you think, wow, okay, there's there's a lot more to this than I thought. Yeah, no. And and again, I I was listening the other day when I was preparing for this episode. I'm listening to this and I go, why does this chorus sound different to me? And I had to really zone in because I'll take a bite off what you said earlier. I think all us, uh, a lot of us musicians have ADHD and I'm sitting here, my head's spinning. I'm going, why is it different? I'm like, ah, the guitar changes there. How many years have I listened to this darn song? And I just realized uh, I love that on line two. To hell with the devil, uh, the lick, the same lick that you yep. just, that we just talked about, that comes in again right there. Then on line three, to hell with the devil. On devil, it's just you alone there as the eighth note stereo guitars are chugging along. It just changes there. It's, it builds this little bit of tension. Yep. On the fourth line, we got to hell with the devil, just like the other ones. And that's where the intro dual guitar harmony hook comes back in there. Right. Also with the new lick tagged on at the very end of it, which I love. It's those little subtle things. You know, that, and, and the, the way you really realize how much there are, how many of those there are, is if you're a guitar player playing along. Uh-huh. You learn the song, you play along, and then when you get to that, that chorus, you go, oh, crap, this is different. Oh, wait a minute, what? <laughs> this has got a little extra, oh, oh man, you know? So it's, it's very interesting how that works. And, and Striper does a lot of that on every, practically every song. I, I love that. And again, uh, I'm just, I kind of amazed myself of how many times I've heard this song. I'm like, why is this sound different? And I had to really, really, you know, pay close attention. I love how that lick changes there. On the fifth line, to hell with the devil. On the last line, devil, you again 
That's just you alone singing that. Just kind of that operatic melody there, the eighth note chugging guitars behind you. Yep. On the sixth line, the sixth to hell with the devil, that's the full padded harmonies and vocals. And then the very end, we get Michael saying, devil, devil. And just as you're saying that, the whole band is it, it kind of retards there. And then you go into this, what I wrote here in my notes, this uh, <laughs> nuclear high-end scream, yeah. <laughs> uh, the devil, uh, over uh, a killer drum fill as the band ends on, uh, in my notes, I wrote again, dunt, 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 dunt. Man, to this day, the ending gives me chills. I remember as a kid, it was just epic. I would crank this thing as loud as my stereo could go. And I love I love the ending. Well, good, man. I'm glad you do. And it's funny because way back in the day before we were Striper, when we were a band called Rocks Regime, and prior to that, Rocks, R-O-X-X, mm-hmm. I didn't scream. And I started, I got into Judas Priest uh, in my sophomore year in high school. And that's when I started trying to develop my scream. But before that, I didn't scream at all. And when I worked on my scream and developed it, I always wanted to have a scream that had uh, my own signature to it. So I would scream high and it was very clear. And then I'd say, what more can I do? And that's when I started applying a little bit more of that grit to the scream, almost Mm -hmm. like someone's dying, you know, uh, or... (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm going to explode almost like just this, like it just keeps going. It's like, what in the world? And that became my own signature thing. Again, love it or hate it. Some people like it. Some people don't. And that's okay. Well, nobody sounds like you. No. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. tell you that. it's my own thing. It's my own thing. And it works. It, it's worked over the years and I can still hit, I, I choose my battles. I can still hit some of them and some of them I can't, you know, it, it's tough to hit the end of the way live when I'm running around on stage and that's one of the longest screams I've ever done. And it's really hard to hit that, hold that note. So some of them, I got to choose my battles. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You're, you're playing the fifth show of that week, an hour and a half set each night. And uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't think people truly know what goes into uh, the psyche of a singer. I mean, there's nights I'm behind the curtain going, man, I I hope I can, I hope I can pull this off. I'm, 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 I'm I'm hurting tonight. You know what? There's no off days in rock and roll as you know. Exactly. You got to go out there and do it. (laughs) And I've had, I've had my share of times when I can't do it at all. And we've had to cancel. That's unfortunate, but that's few and far between it. That doesn't happen often, but yeah, man, it's tough. It's, it definitely a mental challenge as a singer when you can't sing. Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap up here in a moment. I just want to uh, tell you one quick little story here. I promised a buddy of mine. This is for Andre Barcelona. Andre used to uh, be part of the road crew for my band, Less Than Jake, back in the day. And I was so excited. I called him this morning. We talked. I said, man, I'm having Michael Sweet on. I'm freaking out. He's like, that's so awesome. He said, do me a favor. Tell Michael I saw him at the Gothic Theater in Denver, Colorado on the Against the Law Tour with Trickster opening. I was in the front row. And during Not That Kind of Guy, uh, you accidentally spit your gum out and it landed on his arm. Oh, so nice. I promised him I'd tell you that. <laughs> well, that is, I, I, in, in COVID times, that would be pretty disgusting, right? <laughs> yeah. That, and pretty and, scary. And, 
<laughs> yeah, in nineteen in nineteen ninety two, I guess I guess it wasn't so bad. So so that was that was for you, Andre and uh, Michael. If, if I'd like you to leave the listeners with whatever you have going on solo, whatever Striper has going on, uh, let us have it. Well, hey, I appreciate you guys out there always supporting what I do and what Striper does. There's so much going on. I I just began uh, the process for uh, recording process for a new Sweet and Lynch album with George Lynch. Nice. Yeah, working on that. Got an album coming out. Uh, with uh, Tommy Aldrich uh, and Marco Marcello, Nathan James and Joel Holkstra. That's finished. And uh, we started on a new Striper album in January. And that'll come wow. out. That'll come out next year. Uh, latter part okay. of the year. And I've got a solo album already done. Uh, it's just got to be mastered. Totally different uh, style and direction. Not a metal album. And then I started work on a, a second solo album that is a metal album with C.J. Grimark. Uh, and uh, he's overseas in Europe, an, an incredible guitar player, and uh, it's killer, absolutely killer. So there's a lot going on, man, and I'm always busy, always active, and I'm blessed to still be doing it. No, and I, I commend how hard you work and how hard you're. I, 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 like I said, I follow your career. You are busy. You did that record with Tracy Guns, too, which yeah, is killer. Yeah, that just came out not long ago. That's Sunbomb. Yeah, right, Sunbomb. Yeah, that's... Uh, that, that is great. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to try not to uh, fanboy too much here, but I, it's just been a real honor to talk to you. I, you know, you, you're one of my uh, musical idols from when I was a young kid, and it's just, uh, it was a real pleasure. Well, buddy, likewise, man. You did a great job. Thanks for having me. An honor to talk to you, Chris, and God bless you, man. God bless you guys, okay? Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to make a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a One Hit Wonder artist with us. And together, we decide if that artist brought the One Hit Thunder or was nothing more than a one-hit blunder. You can find One Hit Thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts, so hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is 18-year-old female singer-songwriter from Australia, Cassidy Paris. Her influences range from Joan Jett to Pat Benatar and Pink to Avril Lavigne. She recently released a new EP called Flirt. Here's a snippet of her song, Wannabe. You're gonna fake it, you'll never make it
The Wrap with Chris and Chris. Chris, I love these episodes where you've been a fan of the artist since you were a kid because the kid in you comes out while you're talking to them. It's crazy. Sometimes I pinch myself. If you'd have told me 1985, 86, I'd be talking to Michael Sweet someday. It would just be, yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> no way, you know? And, and I, I got to say, you know, this is one of those bands. I've talked to a lot of people over the years. Uh, Ronnie Cates uh, used to play bass, another Christian uh, metal band called Petra. Ronnie was our engineer on Pezcore and Losing Streak. He ended up moving to Gainesville. And he talked about these guys. And I've, I've uh, had other people talk about Striper over the years. They, they walked the walk, man. They, they weren't backstage, uh, you know, doing the, the, the drinking and the drugging and the, and the groupie thing. Like, they were good, wholesome dudes from, from, from what I can gather. And, you know, if, if anything, you know, they already had the Christian contingency that was going to follow the band. If, if anything, they would have dropped it because the Christian thing was polarizing to a lot of people. I had a lot of friends back then that didn't want to give this band a chance because of the message. And I, as a kid, I was just, I was all about the music. You know, I listened to, I, I've referenced this before. I could listen to Striper and, and Slayer in the same day and be totally cool with it. It was always about the music, but I just wanted to, I wanted to point that out. Right. And when Michael was talking about like what he liked, he was referencing Priest and Maiden and and bands that are the furthest thing from Christian <laughs> bands. So he obviously could appreciate music outside of the Christian world, too. And to be honest, I can't pretend that I'm religious or Christian or anything. But if you go back to that time and you think about like, I don't know, maybe I have a skewed view on this, Chris. But it seems like there were a lot of shitty people in the, <laughs> in those type of bands or dudes that were just like, partying real hard and you'd hear like terrible stories about them but i highly doubt you're going to hear any terrible stories about striper no there's not there, there there really isn't any dirt on those guys so they they, they walk the walk and, and and that's absolutely commendable yeah man this was a really cool episode a lot of things he said i thought were awesome and i think i kind of feel this way it's the fact that in his songwriting he has the mentality of not wanting to get stale of wanting all the songs to be a lot different from each other and you touched on this chris but you got to have that common thread among the songs yeah. so you don't sound like 50 different bands it's a tricky line to walk it is i i've you know less than jake has tried to do it we'll you know we'll hey let's let's put a keyboard part in here because it fits the song it's like you don't have keyboards why are you doing that you know and it's again you you have he even mentioned it. you have to please yourself that's what you have to do as, as an artist and uh you know the other thing that, that we touched on was you never think when you're a younger performer and i'm so thankful that i never i never personally sang out of my range because if i did i, I could mm. feel it you know as, as i've gotten older I, I can't sing as high as i used to but you know these guys M michael never thought back in 85 or 86 you know you know in 2021 am i gonna be able to hit this note you were just going for it and man i can t i'll tell you go look on youtube this guy can still deliver he'll still give he says he picks his spots but every once in a while he'll let he'll let go of one of those screams You're like where the heck did that come from right yeah we've touched on that in several episodes before things you do in the studio that then when it's time to play live you're like oh damn it why did i do that <laughs> uh but uh and another thing i thought was really cool man is it sounds like from the jump from to hell with the devil and even before that striper Michael and his Straper bandmates were already producers of their music. You know, coming into the studio so prepared, not only have you worked out all the kinks in your songs and everything, but also, honestly, uh, no pun intended, honestly is a Striper song. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got but, it. Uh, but honestly, uh, if you go into the studio when you're a, you know, a newer, younger band with maybe not as many funds to spend on studio time, that has to be 
such a good thing to come in there that prepared. Well, yeah, you know, M- Michael Wagner, who has is, is done everybody, he mixed Master of Puppets. Michael's a world-renowned producer. He mentioned to Michael back in the day, uh, Michael Sweet, he, he had mentioned when recording Soldiers Under Command, the second record, that all I have to do is make you sound good. Everything's here. And that's that's a joy for a producer, in, in, in a sense, because, you know, they don't want to be sitting there writing parts in the studio. They're there to, re- to record and produce you. And, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think that is really cool. You know, you go back and look at the credits. It always has a producer's name there, but it says and Michael Sweet on those early records. And again, he was young and that was label pressure as he attested to. So awesome. And uh, something I've talked to my friends who know of and like Striper about that's kind of funny about Striper is, yeah, you touched on it a little bit, but the song's called To Hell With The Devil. And <laughs> hell is a part of religious and Christian talk. Like that's not like necessarily a cuss word, but maybe a lot of people would consider it one in a way. But I think that it's funny that Striper seems to have a little bit of sense of humor about this because recently they had a t-shirt that said Striper, uh, like what did it say? Like kicking the devil's ass since whatever, 1983 <laughs> or something. So they have a sense of humor about it because, and anyone who Christian or not, if you couldn't appreciate that, then I don't know. Then I, I can't speak for Striper, but I'd be like, eh, move along is how I would feel about it. You yeah, know? no, I mean, they're, they're, they're in an industry that you, you have to laugh at yourself sometimes. And I, I think I think they, they, I hate using the word joke. I think they get the joke. And I think that they've, uh, you know, M- Michael's been able to, to have a 35 plus year career uh, uh, doing what they do and, and still uh, staying true to themselves. Yeah, man. Great dude. Great band. Great episode. I hope everyone out there, whether they were familiar with Striper like you are, Chris, or whether they're kind of new to Striper like I am, I think either way you can enjoy this episode a lot, and I hope everyone out there did. Absolutely. And and, and speaking of being new, maybe you're new and you haven't joined the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. They should join, right, Chris? Yeah, it's a good time. We talk about music and, you know, usually give clues as to the upcoming episode and I don't know. I like a good music conversation and we try to get them going in there as much as possible and try to leave all the other stuff of the world (laughs) out of there and just focus on music. It's a nice little chain. Not that the rest of the world isn't important, but I just mean sometimes it's nice to escape the world and just talk about some music once in a while. That's right. So, and if, you know, I hear this a lot. I don't have a Facebook page. Make a burner page. Use a fake picture. Join (laughs) our group. It's fun. And if you haven't given me a follow on Instagram, please do. I'm less than Chris D on Instagram. I'd love to uh, chat with you sometime. Until then, I want to thank this week's guest, Michael Sweet, for uh, hanging out with us, and we'll see you next week. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, 
but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.